Welcome to Corazon Technologies, home of the Digital Executive Podcast. Welcome to the Digital Executive. Today's guest is Richard Barnett. Richard Barnett is the Chief Marketing Officer for SupplyFrame, the leading intelligence platform for the global electronics value chain. SupplyFrame solutions sense and interpret billions of intent, demand, supply, and risk signals to deliver insights at key decision points throughout the entire design-to-market product lifecycle. Over 10 million engineering and supply chain professionals worldwide engage with SupplyFrame, SaaS solutions, search engines, and media properties to power rapid innovation and optimize in excess of $120 billion in annual direct material spend. Well, good afternoon, Richard. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Great to be here. I appreciate the opportunity today. Absolutely. This is exciting. My favorite part of the day is always doing a podcast and talking to a new guest on the show. So thank you again, Richard, for jumping on. So Richard, I do want to kind of walk through some things here with you. And I was looking at your bio. You certainly are a great addition to Supply Frame. Could you just share with us what companies look for when they're searching for a chief marketing officer? You bet. I think it depends a little bit, obviously, around the company's business model, what, where they are in their, in their maturity. You know, if they're early stage, obviously, there's a different set of priorities than if you're, you know, scaling into um, new markets or if you're kind of growing or competing in a mature market. And then obviously, the most important distinction is if you're primarily in B2B in terms of, you know, selling products or services to other businesses or to consumer. In my case, I've always been in kind of the B2B world and have always enjoyed thinking about how to take enabling technologies, analytics capabilities that are transformative and deliver real business value to companies primarily in global manufacturing. So when, when I think about, you know, the sort of new capabilities for CMOs in the B2B space, I think what we've seen over the last few years is a, is a need to both be very much a partner with, with the senior leadership team around the overall business goals and objectives and defining and setting vision and strategy for growth in the future and then working back to define campaigns and really use those valuable marketing investments in the most, uh, you know, with a really focus on, on ROI or what we call Romi return on marketing investment. You know, the interesting aspect in today's world was sort of, you know, CMOs that have kind of grow up in different parts of either marketing or other parts of the organization is that you need to be a real synthetic thinker. You know, you need to be good enough to understand creative and design and brand, but then very analytically driven around how to think through and segment a market and really iterate in a more agile process around campaigns that now go across multiple channels, right? So it's not just as simple as it used to be in some ways. You have to think and experiment like crazy because ways to reach your target audience, you know, those business decision makers, you know, is incredibly shifting all the time. You know what I mean? It's it's multi-channel, you know, it's, it's social, it's thought leadership based, it's thinking about content. And as you know, running your podcast, you know, reaching and maintaining, you know, audience attention and engagement is, you know, there's a sweet spot there that you have to find, but it, it's not always obvious. And for us, PlyFrame, when I came on board, what was really important was deep domain knowledge around the high tech, global electronics value chain, thinking about audiences that are including engineering and sales leaders and procurement and supply chain leaders, and really thinking about the vision for the future. Like what is this transformative change and what does it mean for them? And how do we motivate them to take action and drive transformation using supply frame and our capability? Abilities. And so that's something I'm really passionate about. So it's been a really amazing journey and fit for me. I love the organization, the leadership, and the market opportunity. 
Thanks for sharing, Richard. I appreciate that. And of course, you're sharing some of your inside trade secrets on being a successful CMO. So <laughs> I appreciate that. Let's talk just a little bit about your software. Your software is considered the leading intelligence platform for global electronics value chain. Could you just tell us a bit more about your product and why companies trust your product over the competition? Sure. When we look at certain um, key industries, and the global electronics value chain is, is quite interesting because increasingly across automotive, you know, medical devices, industrial equipment, aerospace and defense, and not just high-tech and consumer electronics, where we obviously know there's a high degree of electronics content in these products. You know, we're seeing the proliferation, digitization, and electrification, you know, you'll hear these terms used of the passenger vehicle, right? Of new ways of using sensors to digitally track what's happening in a manufacturing line. If you're selling test and measurement equipment, for example, it's really exploding and touching multiple downstream industries. But increasingly, we've seen crazy levels of volatility or what I call the new VUCA world, right? The COVID-19 pandemic impact was really the just the latest external disruption that had a big impact, not just obviously on high-tech electronics, but, you know, we saw the impact in global supply chains and food, et cetera. But this just comes on the heels of, you know, significant uncertainty around tariff regime changes, retaliatory tariffs between the United States and China, bilateral trade wars between Korea and Japan, the uncertainty around Brexit and kind of post-Brexit integration of UK and the EU. You know, we've seen volatility in key commodity markets because electronics are increasingly becoming shorter product life cycles, increasing density of electronics in key products means increasing complexity. And all of this leads to this need to have an outside-in view of what's happening in the market, understanding and for us, what we do is we combine uniquely intense supply, demand, and risk signals. And then we're constantly looking at and measuring what's happening on multiple different levels at the supplier level, at the commodity group level, you know, across key geographies in the context of both design cycles, which is when engineering teams are designing and building new products, as well as in the sourcing, procurement, and supply chains of leading global OEMs and their contract manufacturing partners and distributors. And there's billions of these signals that we're constantly sensing literally every day, every week. We engage with 10 million engineering and supply chain professionals through different vertical search engines, and their engineers are using our solutions to convert part information into 2D and 3D models. And, you know, across that intent, we can see popularity trends. We can see what's happening with design cycles. And intent is really unique because it gives you a forward-looking view of what's actually happening in the market. In addition to looking at product availability, parts inventory, cost and price volatility, bringing that intelligence together in the context of key decisions that supply chain leaders, procurement leaders, you know, component suppliers and semiconductor sales and marketing teams, they all need this outside in intelligence to optimize how they go to market, how they reduce risk in their products, and how they uh, respond to uncertainty and demand in these global markets. And that's really what supply frame, we're, we're in this unique position of being able to offer that intelligence to the global not just high tech, but these global downstream industries as well. You know, our competitors are really like, it's hard to say that there's no one who's really competitive in exactly all aspects of what we do, but there are existing competitors that have maybe information for engineers that's based on part intelligence, or there are solutions for procurement and supply chain, broadly speaking, that are in the market, but no one's purpose built for the global electronics value chain like supply frame is.
That's interesting. I appreciate you sharing kind of your unique edge over the competition, and that's very valuable. So thank you for sharing, Richard. So Richard, really what I like to dive in as part of this podcast, obviously we focus more on the technology side. So your product touts connections to the largest collection of vertical search engines and supply chain tools, right? Is there an underlying or emerging technology that you all are leveraging? Uh, We are, you know, it's interesting. Many of our search engines, for example, take the best parametric heart intelligence information, you know, around standard electronic hearts like you can find in search on findchips.com, for example, which is one of the kind of most trusted and widely used vertical search engines for electronics components and information. But we also look at applying intelligence around bills of material and really optimize risk and trade-offs to cost in the new product introduction process of companies bringing products to market and then taking that same intelligence into their strategic sourcing activities. And then also distributors are using us to optimize how to respond intelligently to customer requests for quotes for either products or parts or manufacturing. EMS companies, you know, making decisions on how to source for their OEM customers, which is very common in high tech. And what's really interesting about what we're doing is we're taking and synthesizing relevant signal information, like I was just talking about and putting in the context of key decisions. You know, what's happened over the last, I would say, five to eight years is that we now have access to more relevant data and information about, you know, supply chain, suppliers, trends in the market, price, availability, engineering, and parametric data. Again, that's just constantly expanding. And it's way beyond any one human's ability to constantly track monitor and much less try to synthesize what's relevant to them in the context of what they're doing. So we use a lot of machine learning and different applied AI methods to look at analysis of clusters of large data sets and then look at measuring risk, for example, and having a composite indicator for risk for parts and risk for for products and then put that in the context of decisions around part selection, around new product design, around developing a sourcing strategy, which, you know, in this COVID environment, for example, is incredibly important to look at the underlying risk of how much supply is in concentrated in, say, China or other manufacturing locations that might be impacted and may have manufacturing shutdown, or understanding the ripple effect of the recovery process and changes in downstream demand. What does that mean around optimizing negotiations with key suppliers or shifting or balancing, you know, your your sources of supply across multiple different suppliers to overall improve resiliency and reduce risk in the sourcing strategy or in the product design itself. To do that effectively today, you need an outside-in intelligence platform that's giving you that information, constantly updating it. It's always on and it's pushing that intelligence at the point of decision. And that really requires a massive ability to constantly scale and manage large data sets and then put that, you know, understanding the relationship relationship between changes in that in those data sets and then understanding the decision making process you know in supply chain and engineering to optimize trade off decisions which now new professionals are are trying to uh, to do and you know more and more Thank you. Appreciate that insight on what you're using to kind of stay ahead of the curve of uh, global uh, supply chain shifts and other technologies that are emerging. You know, Richard, we talked a little bit about COVID, right? So in our current world of this pandemic, what do you have planned for 2020 or 2021 at this point as far as shifting or a new product or service? We all had to shift here, but what kind of shifts have you had to make? As a company, it's interesting. We 
sit and touch really the global electronics value chain. I mean, we're constantly sensing what's happening in China, what's happening in Europe, Latin America, not just North America, around manufacturing capacity. And we saw in almost real time China get back online to almost 95% manufacturing capacity. But we also saw the impact of having 30 to 45 days of a shutdown impact this ripple effect, right, on, on lead times and on product availability, part availability downstream. And what we've seen is the need, it's never been higher before for us to provide this intelligence that we were just talking about, particularly in the context of new product introduction. You know, one of the things that we were able to do as a company is we have, as part of supply frame, we have a, a group in Pasadena, California, it's called Design Lab. And we actually have a prototype lab environment that allows entrepreneurs and engineers with new ideas to kind of go from early concept and idea to early prototype development. I mean, where we can actually build a limited number of prototype devices and we can use all the intelligence that we're providing to de-risk or provide intelligence around, you know, managing a design bill of material and then helping those teams source those, those actual parts, you know, in their design. Well, when COVID happened, part of our design lab team works all also with JPL Jet Propulsion Lab in as a division of NASA that's also in Pasadena. You know, and the JPL team was really passionate about participating in, in some way to address the ventilator shortage that everyone was experiencing and, and really concerned about. And we still are actually, you know, across healthcare systems globally. This is a huge issue. And, you know, that team, you know, had an ambitious plan to ramp up production of 400 new ventilators with a new design, but they also wanted to share that design in an open source way to the rest of the world. And so our lead hardware engineer, uh, Erica Earl, uh, joined and use the supply frame solution to actually look at the design bill of material. And we were able to de-risk it by looking at key, you know, things like an airflow sensor control. You know, if you would, if you were using the ones that were used in existing ventilators, we could see that there were only 5,000 of those parts globally available. So if we had selected that as part of the bill of material design, and that was part of the open source design that JPL offered to the market, we knew it'd be dead on arrival because we knew that there wouldn't be a global available supply for anyone to take that design and actually scale production, you know what I mean? Address the needs of their communities or their states or, or their hospital systems that they were trying to serve. So very importantly, we looked at alternate parts, alternate suppliers. We looked at making sure there was no key risk constraints for that new design. And with JPL, they were able to, in 37 days, build 400 new units and launch the open source design, which is available now, which we've de-risked as best as we can to make sure that, you know, as it's launched, anyone who's going to take that design is going to be able to, you know, scale production fairly quickly and, uh, and not face any key constraints. And that little example of collaboration and co-innovation is just really a small example of what many companies and many sort of global manufacturers need to shift their focus, which is to, instead of seeking cost efficiency or seeking highest quality in design, the new kind of balancing act is to actually inject highly intelligent resiliency at the point of design. So meaning whether you're in a regulated industry like medical devices, or you're in a really short product life cycle, consumer electronics, it's all about designing at the point of design, those alternate parts, those alternate suppliers with as much intelligence as possible to make those supply chains resilient because 60 to 80% of the life cycle cost and risk of a new product is kind of locked in at the design phase, right? So if you don't get it right there, then it has this massive downstream ripple effect. It's kind of where you're setting the stage, so to speak, for risk and the success of that product. If something else happens in the global supply chain, 
chain. And that's really what we're focused on with our customers is how do we further design resiliency and, and balance against just cost efficiency and, and create essentially more agility and efficiency for our customers that can future-proof them for other shocks to the system that you know could be more COVID outbreaks. It could be something we just can't even forecast right now. And you're absolutely right about resiliency. I think that's so key in this, not only global market, but the shifting market due to the pandemic. So I think that's great. And I I know that there's a lot of tools out there that we can leverage as far as machine learning, predictive modeling that might just give you that extra edge on the forecasting, which is hard to do these days. Richard, this is the key part of the podcast here is people want to learn more a little bit about you and and maybe a way you can help them in their careers. Can you share something from your career experience that would be helpful for those either looking to grow their career, break into marketing, or even join a startup? You bet. I think that's a great question and one that I'm very thoughtful of because I've thought a lot about my career direction, which is a bit unique as I've navigated new opportunities, but also, you know, managing really high potential talent, you know, and, and working with a great set of, of talent in my career over time. And, you know, my my background and my experience was a little bit unique in that I really focused on being very well balanced. And so I kind of started off in the software, you know, industry, supply chain software, and took on opportunities to be an, an industry leader, which is this kind of intersection between industry marketing and sort of business development. So I managed kind of a high-tech global vertical at i2 Technologies and then took an opportunity to go to Japan and start up i2 Japan and grow that business both in Asia Pacific and the Japan local market. And that was probably one of my first, you know, significant growth moments because being a uh, relatively young manager from the West who didn't speak Japanese fluently and managing a team of roughly 10 Japanese and, and 10 foreign team members, you know, you had to get really good very quickly around, you know, thinking about how to bring that team together and dealing with a lot of cultural you know dimensions as well as a really dynamic fast-growing market and we were very successful but one of the things I learned there that's always played out in my career is the need to set vision to empower others to be excellent in their zones of activity but constantly orchestrate and communicate very effectively and I think that's kind of started there but you know in my career I've also taken on the role of carrying a bag and being a you know individual contributor sales executive and then you know I've, I've both done my own startup and worked in two other early stage companies, as well as worked at, for example, Microsoft and seen seen companies that operate at scale with a global footprint. And, you know, I think that that's made me just a better CMO because I can I can think and have a reference model kind of outside in around best practices and how to build a strategy or processes for scale, thinking about the future. But I'm also scrappy enough to really think about what are the immediate goals in a very agile way, be creative, but very, very focused or an execution. It's okay early on in your career to proactively go into sales for a little while or go into another function if that you feel like that would balance you out because it'll come back around later, particularly in marketing, to make you a really effective leader. Experience and background, I think that's really good. And I think that's something you want to, um, you know, you know, really proactively seek and take some risk in your career early on. The last comment that I would say around, you know, joining a startup is that the first startup experience that someone may take on if they haven't organically had that experience or joined a team, but they're looking to join one is you got to be careful that you don't know what you don't know. If there's a different mindset, there's a different level of risk, there's a different level of agility that's required to be effective in most startup environments that are early stage, let's say before a series A funding or a series B funding for sure. And there's also this kind of illusion that particularly in Silicon Valley area, 
idea that if you have, if you're not in a startup, then you're not going to be wildly successful because we always hear about these, you know, big event stories that people have and their successes. And they don't really understand that the statistics are kind of against them, you know, that there's a risk factor that, you know, 70 to 90% of those startups, depending on their stage of, uh, of entry, will fail. And so you really have to have clarity around risk and what it is that you're going to experience there with that team and learn like crazy. It's an amazing learning opportunity, but it's not necessarily guaranteed success. And for me personally, you know, I've got some good scar tissues from, you know, learning from my own startup experience and working with early stage companies. And it's made me, a, you know, really a, a great leader. There's some lessons learned there that are, that are intense, but it's not a linear path to success. Thank you, Richard, for sharing that. I know that our audience would love to take those tidbits, especially those that are looking to, to either join a startup or grow their marketing career. So I really appreciate that. Richard, I just want to personally thank you. It was a pleasure having you on the show today, and I look forward to speaking with you real soon. Thank you so much for the opportunity to speak with you. I really enjoyed the conversation. Bye for now. Bye for now.